Welcome to the March edition of the Mind and Soul podcast. This week, Dr. Rob Waller is in Bracknell teaching Christians Against Poverty Centre Managers about suicide. So just to kick off, I'm quite interested, just um, don't need people to be open or share confidential details or anything, but can anyone perhaps give us 30 seconds of a recent example they had, um, perhaps where they were working with someone who was really quite quite suicidal or had very suicidal ideas? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly, and so there's lots of people who, you know, small self-harming behaviour, which at one level clearly isn't lethal, but perhaps it's something that you know, is, 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 is certainly a sign of a sign of distress. Has anyone got any experience about someone talking about, yeah? So a story with lots going on, um, lots of suicide attempts, actual attempts, which, you know, could easily have worked. Um, and I think, you know, just mentioned very briefly that if, if you've got that kind of situation, hopefully local mental health services are involved. Um, I think one of the things I want to make you more comfortable with today is perhaps someone who's who's not in touch with services um, or, or maybe is just coming to see you because they're the only person you trust or something like that. Um, and also some, something you mentioned, lots of words get bandied around like manic depression and bipolar affective disorder. And what, what do all these things mean? I mean, I can't give you a sort of overview of common words today, but I think the only thing I would say is they get used perhaps more often than they ought to. Um, so just because someone says, oh, I'm manic depressive, you know, what does that actually mean? And, you know, it, it's, it's a whole bunch of things in there right the way through from what I would understand as a psychiatrist as bipolar affective disorder, right the way through to mood swings um, that shouldn't be medicalized and probably don't have a biological or a medical cause cause behind them. So words are words. I think what you have to do is go on, you know, how the person is at the time. Why do people become suicidal? One of my sort of questions. Um, I'm just going to do some scribbling on this on this chart. I mean, why, why do people become suicidal? Just shout out some ideas. Sorry? Stress. Stress, yep. Yep. Rejection, yep. Any other ideas? Abuse, yep. So present day things, past things, yep. Fear of Fear of? Fear of the future, not of hopelessness. Fear of the future, yes. Yeah, fear, no hope, yeah. Fear of failing. Fear of failing, yes, okay. Loneliness. Failing loneliness, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things I want to sort of get across today is I think suicide, for the person who's thinking about it, is a completely logical thing to do. Why do people end their life when things are really bad? They have this sort of inbuilt knowledge deep in them. And this is people who are not in contact with the church or anything. The inbuilt knowledge that there's something better to go to. And they're escaping from an awful place and they're going to a better place. And it seems to be something that all, all humans kind of share. And it kind of makes sense. And you think, I need to move. I need to go on to a new place. And I'm just going to just show you a quote. Um, just read out and then I'll pass out some hand. Um, some handouts. This is a GP who suffered from depression writing in, in the BMJ. Um, the bleakness of the landscape is unimaginable. Ordinary concerns such as work and friends have no place here. Futility muffles thoughts, time elongates, and who is to blame for this situation? Those with depression 
think it must be them. Pointlessness and self-loathing gov governing them. And that's one of the things that happened with depression. Perhaps because people are becoming more isolated because other things have failed. Well, there's only one conclusion left. It, it must be something to do with me, mustn't it? And from one point of view, it's a very logical train of thought. So the natural step is suicide. People with depression don't kill themselves to frighten an errant boyfriend or even to cry out for help. They kill themselves because it's the logical, obvious and right thing to do at that point. It's the only positive step they can think of. So that's the kind of context. And obviously what I'm going to get going on and saying a lot this afternoon is that's one of the reasons why CAP exists. Because if people are like that because of debt, then here are some answers. Um, but from the point of view of the person who is... And it's very difficult to distinguish between, you know, suicidal behaviour and a real suicide attempt and that kind of thing. But certainly in the debt kind of situation, I think you meet a lot of people who it makes sense. You know, it, it really is the end of the road. They've lost hope. There's a, a, a they can't see a future. So let me just pass around some some handouts. If I could give those to you, David, that would be great. And um, just talk a little bit about the facts. Um, Around about 5,000 people die each year in the UK from suicide and um, the government records all deaths by suicide and also open verdicts. Uh, the most common methods are overdosing, particularly amongst females and hanging, although rarer amongst males, is slightly more common among males. Um, now about a quarter of those, 1,300, had seen a mental health worker in the previous year but had lost contact. So what we know is that some people are perhaps in touch with mental health services of some kind, but not necessarily at the time. People thought they were doing okay. Um, but also, 3,700 haven't seen a mental health worker. It's just completely out the blue. Um, most had seen someone, but not necessarily a specialist. So they'd done something like They'd gone to the CAB to talk about their benefits or they'd gone to see their GP to talk about a test for their blood pressure or a repeat prescription for the pill or something very innocuous like that. Or they'd perhaps gone to CAP, but they hadn't said anything. And one of the things that the government wants to try to do is to sort of train people up and make them more aware of the kind of things that cause suicide, when to perhaps ask an open question, and that's one of the things we'll be doing this afternoon, is a little bit of role play, because 61% are thought to be preventable. If the right person had asked the right question at the right time, then help would have been there that would have actually meant that this person wouldn't have had to go down the route of actually ending their life. So 61% are preventable. Um, a little bit about statistics, and um, it's difficult to see perhaps in broad view from this graph, but what you can see is a, a slightly increasing trend, but the, uh, the, the more worrying ones, for example, are this red line here, which is young males aged 15 to 24, and the green line, um, people aged 25 to 34. And what we're seeing is, um, this is Scottish data for what it's worth, because their website's better than the English one, but it's, this, it's the same across the whole country, is a rise in the number of people, both self-harming and dying by suicide, um, in the younger group, among people who are sort of teenagers, late teenagers. Um, uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that you hear about, you know, self-harm, particularly sort of small stuff, like a little bit of nicking with a razor or something like that, being more common among girls than not, you know, schoolgirls. And I'm sure we're all hearing about these kind of things. And I mean, although that's almost clearly not a suicide attempt it's it, it's also not a very healthy way of dealing with your emotions as well one of the problems with self-harm is that 
if you do it for long enough, sometimes you end up killing yourself literally by accident. You didn't mean to. It just kind of happens because you ended up taking a bigger overdose that day or cutting in the wrong place or something. Um, and also because self-harm is not a very healthy way of dealing with emotions, over time the problems will accumulate and it may get to the point where actually there is actually depression and maybe some suicide there as well. I'm not going to talk about self-harm today. I'm mainly going to talk about, about suicide. So have to do another session on sort of you know recurrent self-harming behavior mental distress that kind of thing i'm going to try and focus on suicide um the link between suicide and depression i just want to explain from my point of view as a psychiatrist what i think depression is now depression is a very 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 widely used term from from my point of view as a psychiatrist it means something very specific which is three core symptoms of low mood for more than two weeks, i.e. not just a bad day or two or three days or a bad weekend. Okay, low mood for two weeks, physical bodily tiredness, okay, not just a bit weary, but, you know, almost can't get out of bed type thing. And also a lack of enjoyment, a complete inability to get enjoyment from the things you used to get enjoyment from. Plus, ideally, accompanied by, again, a whole bunch of bodily symptoms, poor sleep, decreased sex drive, loss of appetite, weight loss, Poor concentration, can't even follow the plot of EastEnders or, or read, you know, um, a TV magazine or something like that. Really grossly impaired concentration, loss of appetite to the point of weight loss. When depression begins affecting your body, that's what psychiatrists call clinical depression. And that's the kind of thing that we might want to consider antidepressants for as part of the treatment. But there's a whole bunch of other things like just an adjustment to some bad news, for example. So the ending of a relationship, losing a job, um, perceived rejection, um, other severe mental illnesses, beginnings of, of dementia, um, psychotic illnesses like schizophrenia, where, where there's voices. These, these things are by no means immune from, from suicide. Um, drugs and alcohol being the main cause, either when you're intoxicated or because you've got your life into such a mess that there doesn't seem to be a way out. And there's not depression there, it's just a very logical step. Um, feeling trapped for any other reasons, self-harm gone wrong or gone too far, as I was saying before. And also there's a whole bunch of um, cultural things, like, for example, suicide rates are quite high in Japan because it's considered honourable to end your life rather than bring disgrace upon your family. Um, suicide for political ends, thinking of martyrs, suicide bombers, things like that. Uh, and also in, in, in Christianity, and I'm just going to go through the eight, eight examples of suicide in the Bible recently to say they're not necessarily, due to depression, they're not necessarily wrong as well. So suicide's got a very interesting history. And just to illustrate that, um, yeah, we'll do the next slide. Do the next slide there. Suicide in the Bible. Um, there's a whole bunch of people who killed themselves in the Bible. This, this first chap killed himself because a, a woman dropped a millstone on his head and he was too embarrassed to be killed by a woman, so he asked his mate to kill him, so at least he'd been killed by a man. I mean, you know, th th there's a whole bunch of things in the Bible. Samson, Samson was, was a martyr, or did he commit suicide? I guess he kind of did. He pushed the temple pillars apart and brought it down on himself, didn't he? Um, Saul at the end of at the end of the one Samuel there basically and that was you know he, that was a shame kind of thing going on I think you know he got to the end he realized what he'd done found his own sword his armor bearer followed suit but it's very much an impulsive kind of thing I doubt his his armor bearer thought about it a great deal he just thought oh okay I will um, the, the, there's other people um, Athipathel, um I, I I can't remember the details of all of these people I know less but obviously Judas you know well um, 
Judas felt trapped by materialism and guilt. Maybe it was even predestined that he would die in that way, not to want to throw a theological hot potato among you. Um, and the, the link that I've put at, at the bottom is just, just to an article. We've got some a page on the Minus Soul website entitled Suicide and Self-Harm, and there's a whole bunch of articles in there about a sort of Christian approach to it. Um, and just talking about, you know, suicide in Christianity, it's very interesting. In in those situations in the Bible, with the exception of Saul and Judas, there really isn't any critical comment in the Bible about those deaths. They're just reported as facts. And obviously Samson, presumably, that was God's wish for his, or, you know, as part of God's plan for his life in some way. And the, the whole stigma around suicide didn't really arise until about the 4th century. And what was going on was actually quite interesting. There were... Um, Basically, in the first and second centuries, you know, there were lots of Christian martyrs, mainly because the Romans were killing Christians left, right and centre, and Nero was burning them as torches in his, in his garden. And it was really very unpleasant time as a Christian. But as you got to about the third or fourth century, what happened was that the persecution wasn't quite so bad, and eventually the Roman Emperor Constantine sort of officially made Christianity the, the, the state religion, if you like. And what people began to do was they started sort of seeking out easy martyrdom opportunities or they would go up and sort of go around Bible bashing people until they got killed, basically. That was effectively what was happening because they perceived martyrdom to be this route to heaven. And, and the church had a real problem with this. And they kept saying, no, 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 it's one thing really being killed for your faith. It's another thing winding people up so they kill you. And, and they had to put a stop to it, and they, 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 they tried preaching against it, they tried putting a sanction on it, and eventually they had to impose the ultimate sanction, which is, if you die as a real martyr, fine, but if you die this way, we're not going to bury you in a church burial, and you won't go to heaven. And they actually had to put in, you know, a, what made sense in terms of 4th century theology, but they, 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 they put in place this sanction, which is to say you are outside the church if you die this way. And that continued right up until 1961. Um, before 1961, it was illegal to commit suicide in this country. Quite exactly what the sentence was, I don't know. But you, you, weren't, able to, you weren't able to inherit life insurance policies, a whole bunch of stuff. And that's one of the reasons why coroners started using things like open verdicts, is it's still very much a shameful kind of thing. Um, it was considered a mortal sin in Roman Catholicism. It still is, actually. And it's only four years ago that the Catholic Church changed their catechism to say that in some extreme circumstances, we understand a person might still take their own life and we consider that God has mercy on them. But it's only four years ago they introduced that small print buried right in the middle of the catechism. And of course, suicide victims were denied a, a Christian, a Christian um, burial. And I suppose, you know, a question I just want to throw out there is, you know, how can we help cap clients if the church is stigmatizing rather than supporting and helping? So just before we go to lunch let me ask you this question in small groups such as perhaps three or four what would happen if someone in your church died by suicide or admitted suicidal thoughts and we've kind of put you around tables so you can have a quick chat around your table so do you want to do that for just a few minutes and then we'll draw it together Okay, do you want to be drawing your discussions to a close? Right, so what what would happen perhaps first in your in your church if you know it became known that someone had died by by, by, by suicide? What what kind of response do you think there'd be? Perhaps this side of the room I could ask. Shock. Guilt. Guilt, yes. Could we have done more? 
Mm-hmm. While we're on that, I'll just talk, talk about some books at the end. But losing someone from suicide is a very special type of bereavement, you know, because there's always the question of could I have done more? Um, I think perhaps with cancer, let's say, we understand that we couldn't have done. Um, but, but with suicide, there's always a could I have done more question. Yeah. Right. Yes. So this shouldn't happen, or what was his faith doing in that situation? Yes. Yes. One of, one of our clients was um, uh, a member of the church, um, of, of our particular church, and he tried to take his life while he was with us. Um, but he he'd rung one of the leaders in the church mm-hmm. to tell him that he'd just taken an overdose. So I don't know whether it was a Mm. You know what I mean? mm. Whether it was just kind of like a, a cry for help, if you like, whether it actually take, knew it taken me yeah. or not, I have no idea. Yeah. But the church rallied around and supported him as much as best they could, and he's, he's doing fine. Good, now. good, yeah. So, a situation where someone sort of rings up and says something, and obviously, a lot of people won't necessarily do that. It may just be completely out of the blue. You may turn up at church on Sunday morning and hear that such and such took their own life on Thursday and it's, I mean, it, it'd be quite an odd thing to, I mean, do you think there'd be any negative sort of reactions? I mean, all these have been on the, on the positive side so far. Any negative reactions at all? I just think for me personally, I would just ask you if it's a lot of selfish things to do. So, and I'm a member of a church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and actually a lot of people, the thing that keeps them going is that they don't want to leave others behind you know they, they say I, I couldn't do it to my parents you know and pe- people will say things like that and personally I'll milk that as much as I can if that's what stops them from actually actually taking the final act but yeah you're right pe- people people do you know we think well sh- I shouldn't think like that but it, it's it's the reaction it brings up isn't it yeah how about over here someone perhaps who has ongoing suicidal thinking how would the church handle that Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back to what was said over there, I think our reaction was, how could this happen? Did we miss some signs? But, you know, what could we have done more? There was the yeah, 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 definitely. So, so hopefully, an attempt to get around someone in a supportive kind of manner. And I'll just mention one resource we've got on the website. It's under our sort of section entitled "For Carers," and it's just a list of. Um, Actually, no, it's not. It's under a section called what to say. And it's basically 10 things it's really, really, really unhelpful to say, like snap out of it, pull yourself together (laughs) kind of things. But then also 10 things to say, like, do you need any help with the shopping this week? You know, real real, real sensible kind of stuff. I think people sometimes know what's not the right thing to say, but there's some subtleties. You know, there are some things that it's not good to say that you might thought was a really good idea. You know, how are you doing? It's not necessarily something people want to talk about the whole time. Um, but um, having some other stuff to say or do or offer as well can be really helpful. It's just called What Not to Say, and it's just 10 really practical things on there. Yeah. Um, you just said about things to say. Can I ask you about, about how it's said? For example, if you're a jovial type of person mm. and you go into a situation where there may be very serious, very. No. Do you continue to be the person who you are, or do you do you come to, to where they are, or do you try and bring them to yep. where you are? You know, how yep. do you cope with that? Yeah, so the question is just about if you're a very bouncy person, do you 
turn down the intensity a little bit, yeah. perhaps if you're talking to someone who's very distressed. I, I think yes, slightly would, would be the answer to that. I mean, um, there's there's times to be jovial, but certainly when I meet new people, particularly in my job, I'm I probably listen more than I talk, and um, you know I, I I won't you know I mean there are times where you do want to be positive, and you know I do have a laugh with people sometimes, um, and I think that's okay, but it's got to be in the right context. So I think you know if you can take two minutes to get to know someone, um, you you can often gauge that.